0: Can everyone take out your bulletin? Get your bulletin and, and look on the front cover. And as you look on the front cover, you'll see Redeemer Presbyterian Church. Under its little phrase, let's, let's read that together. So it's Redeemer Presbyterian Church, now together, experiencing community in Christ. One more time, experiencing community in Christ, That's more than just a tagline here at Redeemer. It's one of our goals and core commitments of this church that we would truly experience real community together, that it would be true what we repeatedly say and you repeatedly hear around here, that we would be a family on mission together. So maybe one of you young people could turn this into a hashtag, you know. Hashtag, experiencing community together. Christ, then people would know where they could go to find community, where to look for it. But if they should look here among us, what what would they find? Like, what's community supposed to look like? How are we going to create it? And if we're able to create community, how are we going to hold the community together? These are some of the questions that... The passage before us this morning will help us answer, and we have to answer those questions because we must experience community together in Christ because we know that a strong community makes a strong church, and we know that a strong church can make a difference in this world for Jesus' sake, and that's what we want to do, isn't it? That's what we want to do, isn't it? Yes. All right. So if you have your Bibles open, I'm going to ask you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 29. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew in front of you. I did forget. There are none in the balcony, and I've got to rectify that situation. But hopefully you can get a Bible and see one. Uh, Deuteronomy 29, when you found your place, I'm going to ask you to stand. And we will hear read together the word of the living God. Deuteronomy chapter 29, beginning in verse 16, this is the word of the Lord. You yourselves know how we lived in Egypt and how we passed through the countries on the way here. You saw among them their detestable images and idols of wood and stone, of silver and gold. Make sure there is no man or woman, clan or tribe among you today whose heart turns away from the Lord our God to go and worship the gods of those nations. Make sure there is no root among you that produces such bitter poison. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. It's your truth, all of it, and all of it is valuable to our lives to teach us about who you are, to teach us about who we should be, to teach us about what it is that you would have us do with our lives, to make them count for eternity. So as we come to your word this morning, we ask you now, Holy Spirit of God, to be the teacher to open your word and your truth so that only your truth is remembered and only your truth is applied to our hearts and our lives. And after we've done this, Lord, we just pray that we would love you more for it and glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You Be seated. So why did Jesus, why did, why did God rescue his people from Egypt and deliver them from slavery? Well, ultimately, he did it so that they could create community, a new community, a community unlike one that had existed before. So when that's the goal you have before you, to create something new that hasn't existed, how do you go about doing that? most people would probably begin by drawing on their personal experiences, on what they already know about life. And that could be a starting point for these people as well. So look again at verse 16 and 17. Moses says to the people, "...you yourselves know how we lived in Egypt and how we passed through the countries on the way here. You saw among them their detestable images." and idols of wood and stone, of silver and gold. So here we read these verses and we understand that God knows the power of personal experience. The things that we, you and I, have experienced personally in our lives, those are the things that shape our thoughts and our actions. So Moses pulls out these past experiences. He blows the the dust off of them and he opens them up. And he puts them before the people as if to ask, now what place do these personal experiences have in the community that we are to create? So he says, you know how we lived in Egypt. Yeah, they know how they lived. We know how they lived in Egypt. They were slaves. But they were slaves in a country of great wealth. And the the beautiful buildings of the... Highly prosperous country of Egypt, they were built on the backs of these people and slave labor, labor that was harsh and bitter, but the buildings were beautiful. And so while these people certainly hated being slaves, that doesn't mean they could not be impressed by the beauty of what they had built. You know, a servant in a great mansion may not like being a servant. But that doesn't mean that giving the opportunity, he wouldn't trade places and be the master of that mansion. Wear the nice clothes, eat the lavish food. Given the choice between servants' quarters and master bedroom, he'd probably choose the master bedroom. Because it's a classic story of rags to riches. We love that story, don't we? Still, all these years later, we're enthralled with the Vanderbilts and and the Rockefellers. And those people who came from great poverty and rose to tremendous wealth. And those stories are compelling to us because really they are shadows of the gospel, aren't they? That's why they're compelling. Because here we are, you and I, poor sinners, and I don't just say that lightly, that's what we were, spiritual paupers without one bit of hope in this world, and yet God chose us. And he lifted us out of the hopeless muck and mire of sin. And he made us his sons and daughters and co-heirs together with Christ. That's a rags to riches story. Isn't it? But the danger is that the people of Israel could attribute all that they had seen in Egypt as a blessing of the gods of Egypt. And when they are in possession of their own land, they may be be tempted to keep the system in place, only change the characters. Okay, everybody? Nothing changes here now except now we're in charge and we are no longer the slaves. That can't happen. As they passed through the countries on their way to the promised land, they saw a a, a lot of beautiful things. Not least were were the beautiful images and idols of those countries made of gold and silver, representing their gods, gods that they could actually see and bow before. And maybe the people of Israel thought, you know, this is kind of better, bowing before a beautiful golden statue than this business with an unseen God, a God that we can't see at all. So they might be tempted when they're forming their own community. To be informed by their past experiences. So Moses, in verse 17, he uses this little word that will help them interpret their personal experiences so that they can have the right perspective when forming their own community. So look in verse 17. Moses uses the adjective detestable. Detestable to describe the images and the idols of the other communities. But understand this, detestable and repulsive are not synonymous, okay? Detestable and repulsive. Detestable means abhorrent, deserving strong dislike. Repulsive means arousing intense disgust or distaste. So something can be detestable but not repulsive. Something can be detestable and yet very beautiful and alluring. Think about this for a minute. The same word detestable is used in Scripture to describe unclean food. Food that God told his people they were not allowed to eat. Pork is considered unclean food. Now most of us, from personal experience, know that the smell of bacon Frying in the pan, getting nice and crispy. It's not repulsive, is it? It's appealing. And if all dietary concerns were thrown to the wind, we would probably eat a a strip or two or ten of that bacon, wouldn't we? Wouldn't we? So God has to interpret personal experience for us, doesn't he? Personal experience tells us bacon is wonderful and we reach out for it. But God's word, at least for this time, for these people, says bacon is detestable. Don't touch it. So clearly then, personal experience can lead us to a wrong place. And personal experience could lead the people of Israel to form the wrong kind of community. The kind of community that God's people must build can only be built among people who are always seeking to have God's perspective in all things. I'm going to say that again. The kind of community that God wants His people to build can only be built among people who are always seeking to have God's perspective in all things. And within that community, God's perspective must take precedence and be preeminent over personal experiences And personal opinions and preferences. I love it when alliteration works out for you. Do you hear all those P's? I want to say that one again too. Within community that God would create, God's perspective must take precedence. It must be preeminent over personal experiences and personal opinion and personal preferences. True community exists. When God's people have God's perspective corporately. True community is not possible apart from this. And as you and I saw last week, this covenant community of God is a mosaic, right? And now we saw all kinds of people standing together, ready to enter into this covenant with God and become his people. Leaders and highest officials, as well as those who chop wood and carry water. Personal perspectives of those two groups of people must be vastly different. They will not and cannot see the world in the same way. Citizens and internationals stand on the plains of Moab together. Someone who enjoys the privileges that come along with citizenship cannot see the world or experience the world in the same way as internationals to whom those privileges do not apply. Men and women standing together on the plains of Moab, and we don't need to say another word about that, do we? The differences in perspective between men and women. So the only way to create community in a mosaic atmosphere is to keep God's word in the center and ask, what impact does this truth have on your life? I see this truth as a, from a position of an elder, but you see this truth from the perspective of a woodchopper. What do you see that I might be missing? I know what I have to do in my life to apply this truth. What do you have to do in your life to apply this truth? Because if a leader only sees from his perspective, that leader cannot be an effective leader because he doesn't enter into the experience of, of other people. Same is true from the the woodcutter. If he only thinks about chopping wood, he doesn't think about the perspective of anyone else. And so we pray, Lord, give me your perspective on this truth. Show me what it means for my life and for the life of others. Romans 15, verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes, We who are strong must be considerate of those who are sensitive about things like this. We must not just please ourselves. We should help others to do what is right and build them up in the Lord. For even Christ didn't live to please himself. As the scripture says, the insults of those who insult you, O God, have fallen on me. Such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us And the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. May God, who gives this patience and encouragement, help you live in complete harmony, complete harmony with each other, as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. Then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Different strengths, different weaknesses, different perspectives, but one community, one. One voice glorifying the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The strengths and the weaknesses, they are very, very real. Among God's mosaic community, there are all sorts of different perspectives and blind spots. If we could all agree on this, I would say it would be a good Sunday. Can you please admit that you have blind spots in your life? Can you? Do you have blind spots? Amen. We see things differently. And for the sake of community, we cannot let those differences divide. Jesus says a house divided against itself will fall. And if we divide, the house falls and Satan wins because the gospel that unites us and the gospel that is supposed to make us one is denied by the very people who claim to believe it. And so I hope you, as we've already done this morning are praying for healing for our country after the election. And not just the rift in the country, but for the rift in the Christian community. Isn't it sad what we've seen this week? National level, local level, all the name-calling of each other. If you voted for so-and-so, you are such an fill-in-the-blank, idiot, uneducated, stupid, not really a Christian, godless. And so I just know that the Lord has to be grieved by the way we're using our tongues to rip apart not only others created in his image, but those who are part of the family of God and then say, oh, I love the Lord. I love the Lord. So here's the deal. Our hope is not in the political realm. And I hope you can agree with that. Our hope is in God and His truth. And so here's what can be a reality in church. One person sees the sanctity of life as everything. That's everything to them. Because it is the clear teaching of Scripture. Scripture. Without question. God, before the foundation of the world, he knew us. God knit us together in our mother's wombs. Clearly, clearly, life made in the image of God must be protected and defended. And so for those people, every vote is always for the candidate that is pro-life. For another person in the pew, the environment is everything. And we turn to Genesis 1 and we see that the very first command God ever gave His people is what we call the creation mandate. God created this enormously, indescribably beautiful world and He gave it as a gift to man and woman, not to mar, not to rape, not to pillage, but to tend and to care for. And so the person in the pew who takes this biblical command seriously says, if we're not watchful, there will be no world into which children can be born. And so their every vote is always for the candidate that is pro-environment. Now here's the problem, and you know the problem. The political parties kind of divide along those lines, right? So one candidate is pro-life, and we line up behind the pro-life candidate, another Candidate in another party is pro environment. We line up behind the pro environment, and from behind them, we just shout yeah, 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 at each other. Right? You know that's what we do. And we destroy community by slandering our brothers and sisters on the other quote unquote side. Listen, it's all our responsibility. Is it our responsibility to protect life as believers in Christ? Is it? Yes. Is it our job as believers in Christ to fulfill the creation mandate and care for this earth? Is it our job? It is. So what if the day comes when all candidates, all of them, are anti-life? What happens if all the candidates are in favor of plundering the environment? Then what do we do? I'll tell you what we do. We stay together as a united community to accomplish both because both are God's Perspective, And our job may be more difficult in that day, but that will only make us depend on the Lord and on one another more and more. And so I long, man, for the passion that's used to, to denigrate other believers and to destroy community. If that same passion could be used to defend the community that we have in Christ And I wish the passion that we have for speaking up and speaking out for a candidate and the freedom and the fearlessness with which we do so would be used to fearlessly speak up and speak out the good news of the gospel. And I wish that if we were going to polarize, that we would polarize around the person of Christ And that we would be passionate about portraying His grace and compassion and presenting Him as our only hope. And and I wish that if we were going to break fellowship with one another, it it would be because of Christ. Because He has been dishonored. Because He has been defamed. Because His truth has been perverted. Let's do battle for His name and His truth. Because politics are not what bind us together. And politicians and presidents aren't what bind us together. Nor are they our hope, nor are they our salvation. And if we believe they are, we do not have a biblical perspective at our center. And therefore, we cannot have real community. You know what? I'm the only one who gets to do this. and Let me just acknowledge that to you guys. But you pay me for it. Jesus says this. John 12. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, when I am lifted up, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. And it so often happens with Jesus' words when John records them. There's more than one meaning. Yes, Jesus means when he's lifted up on the cross to die. He will provide satisfaction for a world of sinners. But lifted up also means Jesus' resurrection. See him lifted up. Lifted all up also means Jesus' exaltation, his return to glory, where he is right now. And what's he doing? He's sitting on the right hand of God the Father, and he's praying right now for community-disrupting people like you and like me. And so when we lift up Christ, and when we exalt him, and when all eyes are fixed on him, then we will have community. We're all looking at Jesus not based on personal experience, not based on the way we once lived, not based on the things of the world that seem pragmatic and expedient, but community in Christ, the risen Lord and Savior of sinners. Jesus is the only one who can hold us together. Colossians 1. Jesus is the image of the invisible God The firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible. All things were created for him, through him and for him, and in him all things hold together. Only in Christ can we have true community and keep community together. Colossians 2.19, Christ is the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together, grows as God causes it to grow. Only in Christ can we have community and keep community together. Ephesians 2.20 Together we are His house built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus Himself. We are carefully joined together in Him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Only in Christ can we have true community and keep community together. Ephesians chapter 4:16 From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each one as each part does its work. Only in Christ can we have community and keep community together. Thank you. But we have an active role to play, you and I, in sustaining community. And I want to finish with this this morning and it's not too much longer. This, too, is a little challenging for Americans, anyway. Look in verse 18. Make sure there is no man or woman, clan or tribe among you today whose heart turns away from the Lord our God to go and worship the gods of those nations. Make sure there is no root among you that produces such bitter poison. Got a little bit of Hebrew work here. But what's translated for us is make sure it's an idiom in Hebrew. And it implies that always precaution must be taken to avert the dreaded contingency. Precaution must be taken to avert the dreaded contingency. And so our responsibility is to warn of the consequences that occur From not living a life centered on the truth of God. When the word appears at the beginning of a sentence, as it does here, it carries a dissuasive force. And so action is required to dissuade people from the devastation of sin. Make sure comes in the form of a command. And it becomes the answer to the question that was asked at the beginning of human history. When Cain asked the Lord, Am I my brother's keeper? The answer we know now to be yes. Yes, in true community, you are your brother's and sister's keeper. Yes, in true community, it's up to you to warn. Yes, in true community, it's up to you. To dissuade. If you do not, sin takes root in the life of your brother or sister and poisons their soul. That's the truth of Scripture. In Ephesians 4, Paul describes a church situation where believers are acting like infants. (laughs) Ever experienced that before? They're acting like babies. They're blown here and there by every wind of teaching. Last person to get their ear. Sounds good to me. They're deceived by crafty people. People who have their own agenda and using people for their own goals. Nothing more needs to be said about that. But what's the antidote for that in a community of God's people? Ephesians 4.15, speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love and we'll grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Speak the truth in love, lovingly, lovingly, lovingly. Everybody say it with me, lovingly, lovingly speak the truth and we'll all grow up. Galatians 6.1, if anyone is called in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Let's say that together. Gentleness, love and gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So yes, I am my brother's keeper. Yes, I am my sister's keeper. Jude chapter 1, save others by snatching them out of the fire. What a description that is. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. And one more, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade Others. Yes, I am, you are, our brothers and sisters' keeper. We are responsible for one another. And so Moses says here make sure, make sure, make sure you, you make sure there is no fill in the blank among you. And so the implication of that is that you and I have to be involved in each other's lives, right? We have to know what's going on in each other's lives. You should join a community group. Because say, hiya, how are you? Sunday morning, not really going to cut it. And then we've got to become brave. Willing to speak truth into each other's lives. Recognizing that when we do, we're not being intrusive. We're not being invasive. We're not being offensive. Rather, we are preventing them from poisoning their soul. We need each other. This is a corporate responsibility that we have toward one another. And it's not always comfortable, said he, the great conflict avoider. (laughs) It isn't comfortable. But we have to do it if we are going to experience community in Christ. And that's what we've got to do, right? That's our goal, to experience true community. Christ is lifted up. God's truth is the center. We're people who are always seeking his perspective and making it preeminent in our lives. We are helping other people understand and apply that truth for their lives. That's what's going to keep us together. And that's what's going to keep us strong. And if we'll be brave enough, it takes bravery, if we're going to be brave enough to be this kind of community, if we're going to defend and fight for this kind of community, then I know that we'll become a strong community and strong communities become strong churches and strong churches can absolutely make a difference in this world for Jesus' sake. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for telling us the truth. Father, throughout history, it's probably never been said that you are a God who tickles ears because you don't. You don't have to. You're God. And you can tell the truth. And you tell the truth for your glory because you're so glorious and we need to know that. But you tell the truth to us for our good as well so that that we know how it is that we should live our lives. And so, Lord... Sometimes your truth is convicting. And if I stand alone here this morning as the only one convicted, then, then so be it. But I know how I and others use our tongues to, to divide community instead of using our tongues and our words to, to bring us together. I know, Lord, that our focus is in the wrong place so many times. Our focus needs to be on you, our only help and our only hope. You're the only one that unites us. So, so Lord, just take all this truth. I'm not going to preach the entire sermon again. But help us to live by it. Help us to love one another enough deeply from the heart that we're involved in each other's lives. We care enough about our brothers and sisters that we care about their soul and their spiritual eternity and their spiritual health. And so with love and grace, we speak truth into their lives. Help us have the community here, Lord. Help us really experience it in such a way that it's so wonderful and so beautiful having community like this that we would never want to let go of it that we would give our lives to protect it and defend it because it's community in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.